Things We Learn from Camp. We encounter many challenging things as we move through life and work, some in our own world and some across the fence in the neighbor's yard, so to speak. There are things to be learned from all of them. While today's podcast may be a bit shocking, there's something to be taken from this story for our own personal growth. I was lucky enough to have a friend of mine who works for a fellow consultant in a different industry share a story and generously agree that I could use it given that I changed the names to protect the innocent. I'm hoping that over time we'll be able to use stories like this to share both positive and negative experiences so that we can all learn from them. This way we can accelerate the learning curve and generate broader impacts. Please listen carefully to this story from the perspective of each of the characters and consider what you can take from this. We'll first go through the story in full and then discuss. Let's start by introducing our main characters. Emily's the star of the story. She's an engineer who works for a consulting firm not unlike ours, but in a different industry. This story takes place in the first two months of her career. Sean is the project manager leading the project that Emily gets assigned to. He is located at a client site and works embedded in the project team. He's fairly experienced in the middle of his career. Kevin is Emily's supervisor. He is new as a manager, but he's been in the industry for a number of years now with exposure to multiple clients and sites. Kevin is located in the home engineering office. Kate is the operations manager who Kevin reports to. She is senior and has been in the industry essentially her whole career. Kate is located in the same office as Kevin. Now on to the story. Sean is running a project on a remote client site. The site is remote enough that the people working there all stay in a camp setting. No, not in tents. The camp itself is akin to a hotel, with rooms, a cafeteria, and many amenities, including a gym. People will rotate into and out of the site on a cycle, depending on what they do. Sean's team is on a 7-7 and rotation, with a week at site, followed by a week at home, and a second team that works on the opposite shift, meaning there's someone always at site on the project. This project type offers a fairly unique opportunity to give new staff a chance to see and experience work in the field, and bring those learnings back to the design office when the assignment is complete. So Sean has been engaging a handful of engineers in training along the way so that they can get exposure to new things. The client has asked for some additional support, so Sean approaches Kevin to engage more staff from his team. This looks like a good opportunity for Emily to get in on some of that learning. As she heads for sight for the first time, she experiences that feeling of excitement and nervousness that often accompanies a new assignment. Arriving on site, Emily soon finds out that the assignment is not quite as advertised. The client is preparing for a significant union action and has asked that the engineering firm provide staff that can be trained to take over the client union roles in the event of such a strike. The team that Emily was brought in with is going to spend their time being trained on the jobs of these union members that they would replace. This means they will spend some of their time in training rooms and some of their time outside in the field, walking the site to become familiar with it in person. Okay, this isn't quite what Emily originally signed up for, but she still sees the learning opportunity and feels like she should give it a shot. The second day, she starts to get uncomfortable. The client leader walks them through the site on something of a tour, making it clear to the union staff what is happening. There are muttered threats using words like scabs, and the situation is very intimidating to not only Emily, but much of the team. They're put in a clearly adversarial position with the union. At one point on the so-called tour, a union member physically shoulder checks one of the consultants as they walk past. The client rep simply shrugs at these interactions as if to say, what do you expect? This behavior ultimately escalates to a standoff outside of the offices where union members are yelling, swearing, and threatening the consultants as they tried to board the bus to camp. 
one person even making a comment about what they would do if they had a gun. All of this is witnessed by the client rep, and the response is along the lines of, you'll need to get used to it. Emily finds out that the office facility isn't much better. Her team is situated across the hall from the union team. Desks also sit in the hallway, putting them in close proximity throughout the day. The training sessions are mixed, with client staff upgrading or taking courses for the first time, combined with the consultant team. The trainer, who is staff with the client, routinely calls out the consultants and singles them out in training. In one session, even yelling at them and humiliating them individually in front of a class of 20 to 30 people, creating yet another point of conflict. Lunch breaks bring no escape either, as the lunchroom is shared and becomes a standoff between the two groups. Tensions are extremely high. Emily is initially upset by the change in expected roles, then disturbed that this could be happening, and ultimately angry at the whole situation. She continues to convince herself that much of this must be just how it is in this industry, and that she'll need to just get used to it, as the client said. Being athletic and enjoying some exercise to de-stress and get away from all these challenges, Emily decides to get a workout in at the gym in the camp. She's on the treadmill when three men come into the gym and take seats on equipment, watching her and whispering back and forth. This carries on for a while before she becomes so uncomfortable that she leaves the gym and she would never go back alone, choosing not to work out if she couldn't get someone to go along. Partway through the first week at site and Emily is really struggling. She's a bit scared, hurt, confused, and angry. Her best friend and her family both encourage her to come home. She's torn between living up to her commitments and the thoughts of, this is how it is, and what she believes the way it should be. Emily and two of her peers decide to escalate their concerns to Sean. They're very open and direct, feeling like they got the message across on what they were dealing with. Emily even asks that Sean talk to Kevin so that he is in the loop on all of the things happening and is a part of the plan to resolve the issues. There is some undertone of disbelief from Sean, and a bit of the get used to it attitude that Emily has seen on site, but she really believes that he'll take some action. Emily will find out later that Sean did not even call Kevin and discuss what was happening, let alone take more significant action. As the week draws to a close, Emily has not heard from Kevin, and it appears nothing has changed. She's feeling hurt, betrayed, and completely alone. The flight home must have been terrible. Arriving home, Emily decides that she'll go to the office the next day. Despite it being her days off, she feels like she should. She is brand new, and it will give her a chance to talk with Kevin. Emily has a very emotional talk with Kevin that reveals he has no idea what she's been going through, but now he does. Hearing Emily's story from her week at sight, Kevin is livid. He had not been given transparency into the true expectations of the team. He is shocked to hear of the conditions they put the team through on this site and is unwilling to accept that. While putting on a strong face for Emily, he feels guilt and responsibility for what she's been experiencing and will not allow Emily or others to go through that again. He discusses with Kate and with her equally in shock, takes action. Straight off, Kevin tells Sean that Emily is not returning to site. He engages HR and Sean is pulled into some direct conversations on the happenings at site as well as their direct impacts on their people. Kevin managed to initiate change and both the site team and HR believe that real changes have been made. They ask if Emily will reconsider going back to site. Kevin wants this to be in Emily's control, so he offers her the choice, laying out the changes that have been made. The trainer has been fired. The client rep was redeployed away from this site, 
An option was developed to do the inside training from another location without the client staff there. A dedicated office has been set up for the consulting team that doesn't require the mix with the union staff all day. Emily takes the extra step to talk to someone she's gotten to know at site, and they share that they actually believe things have changed. With these inputs, Emily decides that she wants to go back. She agrees with Kevin to have a daily call to check in and that she can bail out at any time should she feel at all uncomfortable. She heads back to site for her next rotation. The first day of this rotation is spent in the dedicated consulting office, training, and things seem to have improved. That night, Emily settles into her room to get some rest. She awakens in the middle of the night to a very big surprise. There's a strange man standing in the middle of her room. It turns out that the camp room locks are card locks like you see in hotels. They do not have a deadbolt or a chain. Emily's room was double booked and the stranger had arrived on site, turned the lights on, surprised to see someone in what he thought was his room. Emily was not comfortable staying the rest of the night in that room and arranged to leave site and stay in a hotel in the nearest town. Returning to site the next day, word had gotten around of the night's events. Women on site with the consulting team were concerned and empathetic to what Emily had experienced. Many of the men were not understanding at all. Emily would hear some muttering under the breath about her and the trouble she was causing. The PM and the team worked with Emily to organize a way to secure the room from the inside. With this in place, she felt like she could stay there again. This week, Emily's seeing some improvements in the other challenges at site, though a few days later she's warned that she needs to talk to the PM before she talks to HR ever in the future. This is frustrating and confusing for Emily, as she and some of the team who felt that their jobs might even be at risk had brought these issues to the PM earlier and had seen no action. She actually even feels guilty for getting HR involved. Emily continues to go to site for the remainder of the assignment, and subsequent visits demonstrate continued improvement. For the rest of her time at site, she would barricade herself in her room and only go to the gym when friends could come along. Okay, I know what you're thinking. I know this seems like something I must have just made up. Now, it's completely real, except for the fact that I've changed my friend's name and her co-workers' names. People you know have had situations like this in their lives. This could happen to any of us. So let's talk about what we can take away from this story and imagine it from the different perspectives. First things first, the way Emily handled herself was extraordinary. While she had moments, and may still, where she questions, is this just how it is? I want to be very clear. None of this is something that we should tolerate, let alone allow it to be the norm. The idea that these types of conditions could even exist in today's world is disturbing all by itself. To continue this discussion, I want to break down the story into some component pieces and really discuss each of them and different things we could think about or different approaches we could take to continue to learn from this. Let's start with the assignment itself. Looking at the beginnings of this assignment, it appears as though either Sean wasn't fully aware of the true assignment or that it wasn't communicated clearly with Kevin. I assume that the intentions were good. Perhaps the PM got carried away with trying to make a client happy and in the process unintentionally put his people into a bad situation. As a leader, we need to be able to rise above and see the full situation to make really good decisions and help both clients and staff. Taking a step back may have allowed Sean the foresight to create a better environment right from the beginning. Maybe they could have implemented some of the changes that they ended up performing in a retroactive manner 
Maybe they could have done that ahead of time and avoided this situation altogether. For all of us, when any new opportunity comes up, especially as the PM, we need to clarify what the expectations are, really get to understand them so that we can be sure to put the right people in the right places to be successful. An example from a different part of our world, how do you know that a review you're asked to perform is a cursory one-hour review or a detailed, in-depth, month-long review? You only understand that if you ask enough questions to get that level of clarity and everyone understands what the expectations are of both sides of the equation. That way, we all have the same expectations, we all get to the same outcome, and we're happy with where we end up rather than being in a very challenging adversarial situation. Now getting to the conflict itself. I've had the opportunity to be a client and now a consultant in my career. I cannot imagine a scenario where this behavior would be acceptable. And I can only think that an approach could have been constructed which would have avoided the risk of this altogether. The response by both the client and the consultant leadership at this point of the story is very disappointing, lacking the courage to take the bad behavior head on and leaving staff to carry the emotional weight as they should just get used to it. In Emily's case, she did the right thing in escalating her concerns as she felt like she didn't see a way out. Failure in leadership is not her fault, but she clearly paid the price. While this is a different world than most of us live in, I would encourage us all to consider the consequences of our actions and how they impact others. If you somehow end up in Emily's shoes, I suggest that as she did, you work with your leaders to change the situation. But you should never have to feel this kind of fear. You don't need to be in that situation, ever. Extracting yourself from the environment is the safest option. If you're a leader in an environment conducive to this type of scenario, embodying the behavior that you want to encourage is important. To start, seriously look into any alternative to avoid creating that opportunity for conflict. Barring this, you can have open conversations ahead of time, addressing the issues head on, so that the team in the field can be spared the stress. There are also many tools and tactics available to resolve these kind of things in a way that don't involve escalation to a physical confrontation. If you're in a position of the union members and you're exposed to something along these lines, the feeling of losing control, the threat to your livelihood, those are real. But does threatening a consultant help? How would you feel if that was your family member being threatened? There are better ways to approach the issue that likely have a way more positive outcome. We can be better than this. Let's move ahead now to the point of escalation and how that feedback was received. While I don't know how Emily and the team approached the feedback to the project manager, there are some things that I hope happened here and some that clearly did not. We all have opportunities to give and receive feedback. It's key to be genuine and transparent when you escalate things like this. Attempts to soften the issue or fear of reprisal can really get in the way of doing what's right. Looking at it from the point of view of the project manager, there's clearly trust to begin with. The team feels that they can, and they do, bring this to you but trust is easily lost. Emily felt as though some of the issues being escalated were being brushed off, suggesting that she and her peers were overreacting. This perception, even if it wasn't intended, is enough to break that trust. And you and your teammates feel like the project manager actually doesn't care about what they're experiencing. The key to remember here is that perception is in fact reality for that person, and how they feel is not up for debate. 
as a leader, you need to be willing to take that raw and work towards a better solution. Looking at it from the point of view of the project manager, there's clearly trust to begin with. The team feels that they can, and they do, bring this to you, but trust is easily lost. Emily felt as though some of the issues being escalated were being brushed off, suggesting that she and her peers were overreacting. This perception, even if it wasn't intended, is enough to break that trust. And as the project manager, your teammates actually feel like you don't care about what they're experiencing. Key thing to remember here is that perception is reality for that person, and how they feel is not up for debate. As a leader, you need to be willing to take that in and use it to work towards a better solution for everyone. Considering all that was going on, Sean had a challenging situation in front of him. His own team is in a bad place. The client is clearly contributing to the issue in more than a small way. These moments call for someone to stand in front, to be willing to challenge a client, even if it means short-term tension. Remember that the business world is no different than your home life. Relationships make the world go round, and the relationships that we make strong when times are good are those that make a difference when we run into these difficult times. Leveraging these relationships early to address what is quite obviously a scenario neither the client nor the consultant want could have avoided these other issues. It becomes clear later in the story that client leadership is on the same page. They react extremely swiftly when things get escalated through HR and Kevin, making change immediately to improve on that situation. As Emily returns to the home office, you might think this part of the story is the easiest for Emily. I think it's important to note that she took the time and had some the bravery to connect with Kevin directly. Remember, she's both new to the company and in her career. There's likely doubt in her mind, as she's been told many times now, that while she cannot believe it, this is how it is. She also believes Kevin knows what's going on and is not taking action. Now, this effort and the bravery revealed that Kevin was not, in fact, in the loop at all, and that this is not something either he or their firm was really comfortable with. I want to give some credit here to the approach that Kevin takes. He aggressively takes on the issues at site and through formal channels is able to create the momentum for change. When it comes to looking after Emily, he puts his own feelings aside and allows her to make her own decision on the return to site or not, with either being acceptable to him. He may have even preferred her not going back, but he was able to find a way to let Emily do her thing while providing the appropriate support and backup. Now let's talk about Emily's experience in the gym. Many of us have not had to experience this. Some might even think that this is imaginary or not happening. It is happening. It's happening to people you know and that you care about. This means that we all need to pay attention when we hear about these kind of things. Don't fall into the trap that some of the people in our story did and discount what you heard, labeling the person who's experiencing it a troublemaker. If you do in fact witness any of this directly or the hallway conversations afterwards, you don't need a title to intervene and shut things down or take action on something. Remember that what you choose to walk past, you've now condoned. This is a test, a test of caring about those around you. Nobody should have to feel unsafe in this way, particularly in the workplace. It's easy to assume that these things don't happen anymore, that they happen in a different time or place than you occupy. Listen, we may not like it, but this type of behavior is still happening today and will take all of us to bring it to an end. This story is a difficult one. I'll be honest, it's been really hard for me to put myself into the shoes of the people that have gone through this 
um, experience those emotions. And I hope it's been difficult for each of you too, because those emotions are what will create the energy for you to take action in the future when you see these types of things happening. The story we've talked about will mean different things to different people. Emily is a strong professional woman. She's excelling in her career. It wasn't easy for her to recount this experience, and she's dealing with the fallout to this day. I hope that each of you have found something to learn from Emily's story, and that we can use it to continue to have a positive impact on the world around you. From my end, I want you to know that whether we work together or not, if you or someone you know is dealing with these or other seemingly impossible situations, I'm here to help. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Now take care of yourselves and take care of each other.